Okay, welcome to this episode of From the Field. Thank you for joining us. I am Brittany Hirsch-Merchant from the Idaho Wheat Commission, and we are joined today by Mike Spear from U.S. Wheat Associates out of their Portland office, and I will give him a second to introduce himself after I wrap up this opening spiel, which if you've joined us before you know, but you are welcome to ask questions. Um, you can do that by either unmuting your microphone, using the reactions at the bottom of the screen to raise your hand, or you can type your question into the chat for Mike and we'll make sure that it gets asked and answered. Um, Mike, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you do with U.S. Wheat Associates. Sure, great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Brittany. And, and thanks again for this opportunity to, uh, to meet and join your, your session today. Um, as Brittany mentioned, Mike's, my Mike Spear, um, the Vice President Overseas Operations for U.S. Wheat Associates. I've been in the grain industry for about 30 years. Uh, about half that time was on the commercial grain side. I've worked for two of the major exporters uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and then the other half of the time was with U.S. Wheat Associates. I started in our Portland, Oregon office and then moved overseas with U.S. Weeds. I've worked in uh, our Cairo, Egypt office, covering the Middle East, East Africa, um, the Philippines, covering the Southeast Asia region, uh, and then also in Singapore, um, we're also covering the Southeast Asia region. And then um, I joined Columbia Grain and set up an office for Columbia Grain um, in Singapore, moved back to the U.S. with Columbia Grain, and then rejoined U.S. Weeds uh, to head up our overseas offices back in 2019. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you've, you've lived pretty much everywhere, haven't you? I have, yeah. So different countries, about 20 years overseas. So, but uh, great, grateful to be back in the U.S. So. Well, Mike, let's talk about what we're here to talk about today, which is supply and demand in the wheat market. What are you seeing out there? Is there anything um, particularly alarming? What are we looking at for, you know, the past year, the next year? Yeah, I think... Uh, you know, the past year, I think, you know, some of the major factors that, that have affected trade, obviously the big one uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine and that kind of really sent uh, a lot of uncertainty uh, around the world, uh, shipments coming out of the Black Sea. And over the years, Russia and Ukraine, Black Sea shipments have been coming, have become increasingly more important on the world stage. Prior to the war, Russia and Ukraine accounted for 26% of global trade uh, on average, three-year average prior to the war was probably, I think, 54 million metric tons. So when Russia invaded Ukraine, that, as we all know, sent a lot of uncertainty. Uh, we saw uh, extreme volatility in the markets. Um, and that's still, we're seeing that today as well. I think some of that volatility has come down um, from last year's record levels, but it's still there. Um, so I think that factors. I think another factor also we're seeing is the strong U.S. dollar that has an impact on U.S. agricultural products. Um, it's kind of been a headwind, I think, for U.S. ag exports over the last 
uh, over the last year at least, I think, because it makes U.S. commodities more expensive for buyers overseas that have to use their local currencies to, uh, to purchase U.S. dollars. Um, and so we're still kind of seeing those factors today. Um, uh, I think with one kind of, I think, a surprise, I think, compared to where we were looking at it after Russia invaded Ukraine, was the amount of wheat that's actually flowing out of the Black Sea. I think it's a lot more than the market expected, uh, even though we had you know, several times where um, the market, because of the Black Sea Grain Corridor Initiative that was negotiated by Russia, Ukraine, or sorry, Russia, Turkey, um, and the United Nations, which opened up some exports um, out of the Black Sea, we still saw um, I think a lot more wheat coming out than expected, which has been, you know, we've been pretty bearish on prices. So when you say that more was coming out than we expected, do you mean more was coming out of Ukraine than we expected or out of the Black Sea region as a whole, including Russia? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it's uh, the combination. I think, you know, looking at, you know, I think at the time when Russia first invaded, uh, invaded Ukraine, nobody really knew it was going to come out. But we saw Russia had record exports uh, and there was more volume also coming out of Ukraine than expected. I think if you, you know, I mentioned that prior to the war, their average exports were 54 million metric tons. I think combined exports in the last marketing year, 22-23 marketing year, uh, combined exports of Russia and Ukraine were 63 million metric tons. So more than uh, exporting prior to the war. And the percentage of world trade was 29%, which was also higher prior to the pre-war level. So I think that was more than, than people expected. And what about um, Australia? How Aust how are their exports playing into to all of that also? Yeah, another great question. I think those those two, uh, you had Russia last year, uh, as well as Australia, both of them had record production levels. Uh, Russia, or sorry, Australia, after I think three years of really some bin busting crops where they've had three consecutive uh, record crops, uh, they had La Nina weather conditions the past three years, which uh, provided a lot of moisture, a lot of rain, and a lot of timely rain that really helped the production of their crops. Uh, this new marketing year that we're going into, uh, production uh, out of Australia, because they are shifting into an El Nino weather pattern, which brings hotter temperatures, drier temperatures, and probably less rainfall, their production uh, is projected down to about 26 million metric tons from last year, uh, 40 million metric tons. So a 14 million metric ton decrease in production uh, and exports that'll also uh, impact their exports. Last year, record level of exports out of Australia. This year down probably close to 40%. How are those, those changing weather patterns from La Nina to El Nino and back again? Um, I can never remember which one we're currently <laughs> in and which one we're going into, but how yeah. how do you expect or what are the projections for U.S. wheat crop going into a new weather pattern? Good question. I will fully admit I'm not a meteorologist, <laughs> but um, 
I think it's, you know, I think we're, we're hopeful that it's going to provide some more moisture, I think, in the southern plains, or at least where we've had those extreme temperatures and drought. But again, I'm not a meteorologist, but, uh, you know, hopefully we do have some, uh, some better moisture levels for our winter wheat production. Well, you're not a meteorologist, but I think anybody's guess is probably fair game at this point, right? Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if we talk about U.S. wheat supply, what are some trends that we've seen um, over the past five, ten, however many years that um, are maybe, I know, a hard red winter, for example, is the stocks for hard red winter are much lower now than they have been in the past. What what are some of those trends and what should we be aware of or what catches you know your eye? Yeah, um, I think you know, trends that we've seen, I think, you know, over the last three years we've had um drought years and different production areas that have really limited, I think, the production uh, of wheat in the United States. On the other hand, we've had stable domestic supply or domestic consumption, a uh, very stable domestic consumption, uh, around 30, 31 million metric tons. And when you take that and you uh, add in our um, uh, exports this year, projected around 19 million metric tons, uh, the last three years we produced less than uh, what were our, our, I guess our, our domestic consumption and exports are outpacing our production. So it's led to a decline uh, of our ending stocks. I think over the last five years, um, ending stocks are down probably about 43% total ending stocks. Uh, and as you pointed out, I think it's been a little bit uh, tighter even situation for, for hard red winter wheat. Hard red winter wheat stocks, because of those droughts we've had in the Southern Plains, Harder winter wheat stocks are down about 40% uh, from the five-year average. So tighter supplies, that's also why we're kind of seeing um, in terms of prices of harder winter wheat, harder winter wheat last year was really trading at a premium uh, over several uh, of our competitor origins through much, pretty much throughout the marketing year. And one of the major reasons for that is that tighter balance sheet uh, of the hard red winter wheat class. But yeah, again, as you mentioned, you talked about overall, our uh, all stocks of wheat um, are tighter compared to where we were five years ago. And is that just weather related or what are the other factors that play into that? Um, <clears throat> I think change and shifts in acreage patterns is one, uh, weather as well. And then again, you know, that, uh, you know, we have had that stable, um, domestic consumption of wheat and exports as well. So just not being able to, for production to keep pace with our, our combined exports and consumption. But yeah, I think, you know, everyone probably on this call realizes that we've seen, you know, the last two decades, um, a drop in wheat acreage, uh, you know, at the, you know, more acreage of corn and soybeans planted. <clears throat> Mike, with the, uh... With a lot of farmers around the world experiencing, experiencing extreme heat, extreme drought, extreme moisture, with the effects of the Russia-Ukraine war, nobody really knows how long that's actually going to continue. And the question I get often from people I know is, 
are we going to have a wheat shortage? Is there a wheat shortage? Should we stock up on wheat? What yeah. What is your answer to that? You're talking about in a worldwide. You're yeah. Correct. So yeah, that's that's a great question. I think, you know, it's interesting if you look, take a little bit of a longer term look. Over the last decade, we've seen um, world wheat production trending higher over the last decade, even though there hasn't been a significant increase. Um, in planted area around the world. So I think that, um, you know, even though stocks are tighter, uh, uh, world stocks are tighter, uh, and stocks are tighter of the major exporters of wheat, uh, probably the tightest level that we've seen in at least a decade. So I, you know, I, I think that there is still um, sufficient supplies of wheat around. Um, so I, you know, I don't think there's any need to store up on it. A matter of fact, if you look, I think at the buying trends, uh, flour millers overseas, they've kind of seen wheat prices over the last 12 to 15 months, kind of starting back, I think of June, July of last year, wheat prices have been trending lower. So some buyers overseas have been going, shifting their buying uh, strategies more to hand to mouth, because if, you know, rather than buying three to four months out, because uh, with the prices going lower, if they've waited, you know, they've been kind of rewarded by lower prices. So that's kind of the way the market is going now. Um, but with those tight supplies and uh, of the major exporters, uh, and then you take into account, you know, I think Russia, Russia's exports, uh, record exports last year, sounds like the first quarter of this marketing year, Russia's uh, exports are, are near record levels. So the wheat continues to flow out of there. But, you know, we've also seen a shift in Russia taking control of their, the government of Russia taking control of wheat, uh, of wheat exports. Multinationals have stepped out of that. So, and, and, you know, that is a little bit of a concern because you look over the last decade, where we've seen significant spikes in wheat prices uh, have been at times where Russia has put in export uh, taxes, export quotas. So that is a little bit concerning. And I think uh, definitely something, a situation for farmers and, and we're, you know, reminding flour millers overseas to keep an eye on. Corey, it looks like you have a question. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll kind of piggyback on that question. From a farmer standpoint, outside of the high dollar, I see high commodity prices, tight global stocks to use ratios, poor crops, definitely in our wheat growing regions in North America and, and a war that seems to be escalating and yet the market doesn't give two craps about any of it right now as it's just been flat ugly for two months. So kind of with what you're saying, one, does supply and demand not care or matter as much anymore when we got hedge funds controlling this market? And two, is the entire world just think if we need it next week, it'll be here next week? Like like you say, that hand to mouth, is that the new norm for what we expect? I, I just trying to wrap my head around why this market just keeps tanking. Yeah. Great questions, Corey. I think that um, you know, what I was I was looking, you know, at the numbers, as you talked about the stocks to disappearance ratio tighter. If you look at the stocks to disappearance ratio of just the major exporters. Uh, we haven't seen this level, uh, I think it's at 13%. If you just look at the ending stocks, the major exporters, lowest level we've seen going back to 2008. 
never remembers what happened back in 2008 where we saw prices spike. So, you know, it's really kind of stepped out from the norm. And normally that stocks to disappearance ratio, a lower number has been bullish for the market. But we've kind of seen the opposite of that. And I think that goes back to right now, uh, the wheat is flowing out of the Black Sea, Russia uh, is flowing out of there. But, you know, I think that, you know, going forward here and, you know, I think depending on what happens in Australia, that's a huge shift uh, in supplies with Australia production um, coming off the last three years. So I, and then, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like we should be at these levels is what you're saying. But I think, you know, uh, buyers overseas are comfortable right now, kind of, you know, at this hand to mouth approach, but I don't think it will take much. Uh, as you also pointed out, you talked about the funds. I think the funds have some very large short positions, particularly in Chicago. So, you know, any type of um, quality concerns, uh, production issues, you get uh, something that happens uh, in the Black Sea that stops that flow of wheat. I think there's a lot of upside uh, risk potential and for prices um, going, you know, if that, if that does happen. Okay, we have a question in the chat, Mike. What are the soft white meat trends? You talked a little bit about hardwood winter and overall, but specifically soft white meat trends. And, and then I'll have a follow-up for you from that. Okay. Uh, trends, and I think in soft white wheat, I think uh, we're seeing soft white wheat this year um, has become more competitive, I think, primarily with uh, you know, the major competitor for soft white wheat is Australian standard white, uh, Australia's lower protein. I think with Australia's uh, production uh, and exports lower, uh, we've seen the price spread, the FOB price spread between soft white wheat and ASW narrow, which I think is a positive trend for soft white. Um, if you look at uh, this same time last year, soft white wheat prices were close to $100 per metric ton higher than Australian standard white. Today, based on U.S. Wheat Associates price report last week, um, soft white wheat is actually about $20 per metric ton cheaper than Australian standard white. So I think that that's positive, particularly uh, for our markets in North Asia and Southeast Asia. Uh, will create some opportunities for uh, for soft white wheat. Um, U.S. Wheat Associates staff has has already been, uh, I think, kind of out ahead of this and has been working with buyers in uh, North Asia and Southeast Asia, working with flour millers to increase the blend ratio of soft white wheat. For some of those mills that the last couple of years shifted to using more ASW because it was cheaper than soft white, uh, now getting them to shift back to increase those blend ratios of soft white wheat and their flowers. And what is, so there, this was a two-part question. Uh, what is the biggest need you see for U.S. wheat farmers? The bit, sorry, the biggest need? Need, yes. In terms of um, exports well, or... Yes, it, I'm, I'm guessing. Matthew, if you want to jump in and clarify your question. Just like, just like if you could wave a magic wand or farmers could wave a magic wand, what would we get to get higher prices and more customers? 
higher prices uh, for farmers. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of a double-edged sword there because you get higher prices, then we have a little bit of less uh, on the export opportunity. But I think, you know, in terms overall uh, for, for total U.S. wheat exports, for farmers, you made a magic wand, uh, increased production, more supplies uh, of wheat. Um, I think that would be that would be one. And Mike, kind of to piggyback off of that question, what is the, you know, we talk about how our wheat stocks are lower, we have less than we've had, you know, in several years. Um, what's the main message that you that you would send to buyers? about that i think um about our our tighter stocks i think is you know not you know i think to would be to, i think kind of keep in contact with our u.s wheat offices where the export trade because when we do have these tighter supplies that we're seeing now i think even and corey brought it up he kind of just mentioned that you know do buyers just think the wheat's always going to be there um, you know, so I think it's important. I think over the years, U.S. Wheat has done an excellent job working with buyers um, to remind them to, to keep a pulse on the market, to keep a pulse on stocks, um, particularly, you know, now we're getting into um, October, November, December, which are also prime export months for corn and soybean shipments. So it can be a very a busy time on the export side. So um, you know, it's important for, I think, buyers to just to keep those connections. And also, I think it's it's also so great to have the trade teams visit um, Idaho, the states, the wheat commissions as well, uh, because they can also make those connections, too. And they come, you know, during the summers. I know you have a team coming up. They can see see the wheat, see the harvest firsthand, which I think helps them a lot in terms of their you know procurement strategies going forward. Yeah, I actually, I really think it's cool that U.S. wheat, I mean, it's farmers may, may not realize this, that U.S. wheat has 16 offices around the world. Is that the right number? Uh, 13, I think it's 13. 13, yeah. okay. You, I, you mentioned a few that you have worked in, in Egypt and Singapore and Mexico and different places. But with those 13 offices, that, that means the U.S. wheat has representatives on the ground to build those relationships with buyers and, and kind of to make sure that U.S. wheat has markets to go to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. I always kind of make the make the comment it's not a joke it's it's real that you know basically with our offices overseas around the world that you mentioned uh, almost seven days a week 24 hours a day it's very likely that there is somebody from u.s wheat that is talking about u.s wheat uh exports uh either on you know production side or purchasing side on the technical side um which i think is you know comparing that to other competitors other origins you really don't see that yeah, there's there's just so much work being done, you know, behind the scenes that that we don't know about, and yes. we're tied yeah. into it. So right. you know, definitely farmers who are a little bit, you know, have a little bit more distance from it because they're yeah. doing their job. Yeah. Um, 
wouldn't know that those things are going on. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And and I think that, you know, over 30 years in, in the business, I think the, the last couple of years, last year for sure was probably the most challenging uh, time in the markets that I've ever seen. <clears throat> and, you know, it makes it a little bit more challenging too when you look at um, the volumes of exports projected out of the United States uh, below average. We're talking, the USDA is estimating this year exports at 19 million metric tons, which would be the lowest level uh, going back to the 1970s. So, you know, it's, it's challenging at times, even when you have sufficient supplies to export uh, of U.S. wheat, uh, because we're not always the most competitively priced wheat, but we have the highest quality wheat in the world. And so I think our staff overseas, you know, this past year, even with lower exports, we haven't been uh, as competitively priced last year. Our hard red spring wheat was higher than Canada. Our uh, hard red winter wheat was higher priced, creating it a premium to the Russian wheat or French wheat or Australian medium protein wheats. And our soft white wheats last, uh, last year was also trading at a premium uh, to Australian wheat. So that you know, is definitely a challenge, but I think that um, our staff overseas does an excellent job reminding buyers why it's so important uh, to, to not only focus on, on price, but also look at the quality, the value and the service that they're receiving when they buy U.S. wheat. Mike, I know a U.S. wheat contributes to the global wheat supply. Uh, I know the demand for wheat has been steadily growing. Uh, with with the U.S. wheat representatives in some of these countries, maybe that have um, a population increase in these lower income countries, some of them are switching from a rice commodity to the wheat commodity. Do you foresee that demand for wheat globally? steadily increasing? Yes, I think so. I think in, in particular, you, you touched on a good point there. Particularly, we see that in Southeast Asia, uh, where the consumers are shifting from, from rice to more wheat-based products. Um, and I think that that's an advantage for, for U.S. wheat because we have that higher quality wheat. I think not only in Southeast Asia, but other markets around the world where you're seeing a shift driven by the consumers that they want higher quality products, uh, better value products. And that's really where I think we have um, an advantage over other origins uh, is because of our quality, uh, quality wheat, the quality end use characteristics that we have to make uh, the wheat-based products that, that are growing, the quality products, uh, really you need U.S. wheat uh, for those products. How much longer do you think we can get away with with that sales pitch? It seems technology moves so fast, varieties, breeding, whatever you want to say. It doesn't take long for a Brazil or, you know, I'm talking corn and soybeans or something like that to steal our genetics or take our genetics. I just worry that we're not going to be able to, to go with the U.S. wheat is higher quality very much longer. So. I don't know what our backup plan is. We got to be cheaper, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I think we'll have a hard time being cheaper, but it, yeah, that is uh, a good question. But I think, you know, I remember when Russia came on the scene, that was the problem. Oh, Russia is going to, uh, you know, have similar quality wheat that the U.S. does. Um, their quality has definitely improved over the years, but it's not there yet. 
Um, I think fortunately for, uh, for Idaho, a lot of the soft white wheat producers, there's really not a soft white wheat out there that compares. So I think you're, you're in a good spot there. Um, but yeah, that's, that is a concern, you know, how long that takes. It does. I know we have some readers on here. I think on here that, you know, does take a long time, I think, to, to catch up uh, on that. So um, we'll need to, yeah, but that, that's a, that's a good question. And it's not just uh, increased populations that are kind of driving that demand. It's also population ages, right? And the, the trend, um, we heard a lot this summer in, yes. in North and Southeast Asia uh, is those gener those populations are getting older and are requiring different um, different diets than than they're used to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think you have a little bit of um, uh, older population percentage wise in North Asia, Southeast Asia, very young population that is you know really has embraced. Um, wheat-based products and, and high-quality products as well. And so um, that has definitely, I think, been helpful. If you look at, you know, I think uh, as of today, I think export U.S. wheat export sales, um, a majority of the regions uh, export sales this year versus last year are down. But where we're seeing a higher percentage of commercial sales this year compared to last year are in North Asia and Southeast Asia. So, you know, I think it just reminded me too, uh, you know, back on Corey's question, um, when you look at our top 10 destinations, our top 10 customers this year of wheat, they represent about 70% of our total exports. So I think that, you know, we're, we're continuing to focus on, on those markets and those markets are really, uh, they're not just price buyers. Everybody buys based on price. Uh, but the quality, value, and service is very important to these markets. And again, those are 70% uh, of our exports. Mike, kind of piggybacking off Corey too a little bit, is there something that the industry should be focusing on or looking at long-term? Kind of, you're talking about the quality, but is there something that we should be thinking about that's going to be important in those next 10, 15, 20 years that maybe we're not looking at now? That's a tough question because I and it's a tough question because I think that um, the industry has done a very good job of looking in the future. You know, I think that, you know we've seen industries, we've seen um, uh, you know expansion of capacity for that future growth, so we can always continue to be that reliable supplier. Um, on the infrastructure side, we've seen on the railroad side investing in um, in infrastructure as well to to help maintain those those supply chains that we have. So um, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that we need to be doing that we're not, but I think we have such an efficient industry that they're really done a good job looking ahead. Thank you. Great. Well, Mike, we have hit our 30 minute mark, which is oh. about how long we, we like to keep these going. That went very quickly. Um, so thank you again so much. Are there, is there any like 
any last bits of wisdom, any last points you want to bring out about supply and demand? I, yeah, wisdom. Yeah. Where's my crystal ball? I need to, <laughs> I need to borrow that from Vince Peterson. He's got the crystal ball there. So um, I would, you know, I, I think just, you know, I know this is a, a busy time of the year for, for producers planting, harvesting, so much still harvesting too. <clears throat> I, I think just, you know, keep an eye on the markets. Uh, we are, we are pretty tight when you look at um, the stocks, particularly of the major exporters. So it's not going to take anything major to, you know, kind of shift things more to the upside. So um, I think, you know, again, I appreciate this opportunity, this, um, this type of forum, I think, where you can ask questions is, is very helpful, I think. And, you know, hopefully some information I provided today helps and uh, happy to do this again. I've, I've really enjoyed it. So thank you for this opportunity. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It, um, yeah, great questions. Learned, I think we all <laughs> learned something. Uh, and lots of good questions came out of this. So, and good, and good answers on your part. Some of them were <laughs> out of nowhere for you. So thank yeah. you so much for, for joining us. And yeah. we will remember that you are happy to do this again in the future. Yes, yeah, yeah. Look forward to it. Thank you all for right. everything you do. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for keeping wheat flowing. Yes, all right. All right. Thank you Thanks. so much. This episode will be available on our social media platforms, podcast channel, and YouTube channel. So you can go ahead and watch it later, listen to it later, or share it with your friends and neighbors. And thank you for joining us. And we'll see you for our next episode of From the Field in a couple of weeks. Thank you.